Welcome to Her Half of History. My name is Lori. The current series is Groundbreaking Novelists, and this is episode 6.12, Wrapping Up the Groundbreaking Novelists. On some series, I feel like I have covered pretty much everything I currently know about the topic, but this is not one of those series. There are thousands of other great female novelists, but since my attention span does not really stretch very far, I am calling the series done after today. Since I began this series with the discussion of how we got to the point where women could write novels at all, I thought it would be fitting to wind it down with a discussion of how far we've come since Murasaki Shikibu and the world's first great novel. I'll also give you an explanation of how I chose the ones I chose and a long list of the women I didn't cover in case you're in need of your next great read. And really, who isn't? But first, women as novelists have made a huge leap. The New York Times bestseller list got going in the 1940s, and women were, predictably, not very well represented. In some years, writing as few as 14% of the bestsellers. But we reached a beautiful 50-50 ratio in 2001, and have hovered in that neighborhood ever since. If you break it down by genre, the news is more mixed. All genres were heavily male-dominated in the 1950s, except for domestic fiction, which I confess is a term I had to look up because I didn't know what it meant. To be honest, I'm still not sure exactly what it means, but it is sometimes called women's fiction. It features heroines who grow up and learn what a woman needs to know to participate in the dominant culture's view of what a woman should be. Many of the descriptions sound kind of derogatory, and I could get all kinds of irritated that we should have created a separate genre because a book happens to be about women, but I'll spare you that rant. Anyway, back to the point. Almost every genre is male-dominated in the 1950s. Suspense, adventure, and spy novels still are. Fantasy and sci-fi also are still male-dominated, and that one surprised me a bit, because if I'd had to name the major blockbusters of the past couple decades in those genres, I'd have said Harry Potter, Twilight, and The Hunger Games, which were written by J.K. or Joanne Rowling, Stephanie Meyer, and Suzanne Collins. But these statistics are based on strict number of books, whether that book was on the list for one week or all year. And that means it's still male-dominated, despite some huge successes by women. Historical, domestic, and romance novels are now strongly female-dominated. Mystery had a brief moment of being female-dominated, which was entirely due to Agatha Christie, but has now reached more or less parody. So has horror and paranormal. So has the literary, or the so-called non-genre, category. Interestingly, most of the best-selling books overall are in that literary category, which was also a bit of a surprise to me. I was well aware that English departments, professional critics, and prize-giving associations tended to raise their aristocratic noses at genre fiction, but the best-seller list is only a measure of commercial success, and many genre novels are rollicking good stories. As regards the highbrow folks... I was also able to find, without much looking, both some hand-wringing that reviewers still tend to ignore new books by women, but also some hand-wringing that literary fiction is now dominated by women editors, and male authors are finding it harder to get their foot in the door than women are. I don't know so much about getting the foot in the door, but I noticed that the bestsellers in that category are still roughly equal between the genders. So much for the authors. But how about the readers? First, women 
read more than men. In 2021, 78% of U.S. women said they had read a book within the last 12 months. 73% of U.S. men said the same. That's just a single, solitary book in any format, any genre. The numbers from other surveys are sadly lower. If we up the ante there a bit, 11% of U.S. women read over 31 books. 5% of men could say the same. And all that is just books, as in non-fiction included. Men buy only 20% of the fiction books in the U.S., Canadian, and British markets. This discrepancy starts young. When the Pew Research Center asked nine-year-old girls if they read for fun almost every day, 46% said yes. 38% of nine-year-old boys said the same. Since I consider a day without a book to be a day wasted, those numbers seem low, but the really tragic part is that something terrible happens between the age of nine and the age of 13, and I am not talking about puberty. No, something else terrible happens, because by age 13, it's only 20% of girls and 14% of boys who read almost every day for fun. It is, therefore, unsurprising that girls score better on reading tests than boys, and that's true across multiple countries. If that weren't bad enough, men also appear to self-censor their reading. A recent study found that if you take the top 10 best-selling female authors and look at their readership, only 19% are male. Apparently, the men assume that books written by women are not worth reading. Women do not return the bias, because the top 10 best-selling male authors have a much more balanced readership. 45% of their readers are women. I was interested enough in this to run a Twitter poll on it. 21% of my respondents said that when they pick books, they favor authors who are of their same gender. Now, if I were a better statistician, I wouldn't have used Twitter, or at the least I'd have figured out how to get Twitter to ask also what gender these people are, but I'm not sure Twitter actually does that, so no luck there. This is not just a matter of whether women can sell books. That issue is easily solved by changing or gender-neutralizing your name, as everyone from George Eliot to J.K. Rowling can attest. The larger issue is whose perspectives a book can show you. Multiple studies have shown that fiction increases empathy and social acuity. In a world that is often sadly lacking in both those qualities, surely we want people to have the experience of being someone else through fiction? And some of those people should be women, especially if you aren't a woman yourself. One interesting and easy-to-apply test for any kind of fiction is the Bechdel test. To pass the Bechdel test, the work has to include two women having a conversation with each other which is not about a man. That doesn't sound like a high bar, and yet, it is. A lot of works fail. Even a lot of really good works fail. So remember this is not about whether this or that great piece of literature fails. It's about the overall prevalence of portraying women only as they relate to men. Then, when you pair that with the fact that men tend to read only male authors who tend to have male protagonists, well, the problem compounds. For example, I find that the Tacoma Public Library has a list of 71 novels that pass the Bechdel test. Guess how many are written by men? If you guessed five, you are right on. Yes, five out of 71. But enough about that. 
I myself didn't actually start choosing authors by gender until I started this particular series. I have covered eight novelists, but that is trivial compared to the number of women I could have included. As this is a women's history podcast, my initial requirements for inclusion were that she had to identify as female, be dead, and have written a novel that had a significant impact on the world or the history of the novel. I consulted my own have-read list, my family, including my literature professor brother, and the lovely people on Twitter who answered my plea for suggestions. I also used The Novel, a biography by Michael Schmidt, Robert McCrum's 100 Best Novels, and several snippy responses to Robert McCrum's 100 Best Novels. I was flooded with suggestions. So I had to do some trimming. I cut those who turned out not to be women. Goodbye, E.M. Forster. And those who aren't actually dead, so no Margaret Atwood. I also cut those who are very recently dead. Sorry, Toni Morrison since history generally benefits from a little settling time. That still left a long list, but for full episodes, I had to get rid of anyone for whom I could not lay my hands on enough sources to do a bio, and even in one case whether I actually mislaid the biography, apologies, Edith Wharton. Still too many to deal with, so I narrowed my requirement as to whether I could give a pithy statement about what exactly the woman achieved, such as, started a war, or sold more novels than anyone else, or wrote the very first novel. Just writing one of my favorite books was not enough, alas, for George Eliot. From all that, I narrowed to the eight women I actually covered. But since there are a whole lot of other women, today I'm giving you the full list of novelists who could have been included according to my original requirements. Female, dead, and wrote a novel that someone thinks is important for some unspecified reason. No one else is cut, except for all the authors I just don't know about yet. I'm quite certain that I'll think of others, probably within five seconds of hitting publish, so on the website this will be an ongoing list. If there's someone I should have included, put it in the comments. I'll add her. I freely admit I haven't read all of these authors, so this is not a personal endorsement. I find to my dismay that I've read only 25 out of 103, and some of them, I confess, I didn't actually like. If you are interested in women authors who aren't necessarily dead, writing books that aren't necessarily novels, then I recommend following Read More Women on Twitter at WomenRead or visiting booksbywomen.org. I'm also aware that the list may be boring to listen to. So if you are signing off now, thanks for listening this far. Follow me on Twitter, review me wherever, check out the website for sources, pictures, and a donation link. Come back in three weeks for Series 7. In the meantime, read a book, okay? For the one or two of you who are still listening, the alphabetical list begins now. Louisa May Alcott, Jane Austen, Mariama Ba, Juna Barnes, Afra Ben, Elizabeth Bowen, B.M. Bauer, Charlotte Bronte, Emily Bronte, Anne Bronte. Christine Brooke Rose, Fanny Burney, Frances Hodgson Burnett, Octavia E. Butler, Mary Butts, Angela Carter, Barbara Cartland, Willa Cather, Kate Chopin, Agatha Christie, Sidonie Gabrielle Collette, Ivy Compton Burnett, Catherine Cookson, Marie Corelli, Madame de Lafayette, Simone de Beauvoir, Agji Deccan, 
E.M. Delafield, Daphne de Maurier, Maria Edgeworth, George Eliot, Elaine Feinstein, Susan Ferrier, Penelope Fitzgerald, Marilyn French, Elizabeth Gaskell, Stella Gibbons, Ellen Glasgow, Nadine Gordimer, Eliza Haywood, Bessie Head, Patricia Highsmith, Carrie Holm, Zora Neale Hurston, Helen Hunt Jackson, Sarah Orne Jewett, Margaret Kennedy, Selma Lagerlof, Ursula Le Guin, Harper Lee, Doris Lessing, Janet Lewis, Clarice Lispector, Anita Luce, Ethel Manning, Olivia Manning, Clorindo Mato de Turner, Mary McCarthy, Carson McCullers, Margaret Mitchell, Nancy Mitford, L. M. Montgomery, Tony Morrison, Iris Murdoch, Anais Nin, Flannery O'Connor, Baroness Emma Orksey, Ouida, Molly Panter Downs, Gigi Pendarves, Sharon K. Penman, Sylvia Plath, Catherine Ann Porter, Anne Radcliffe, Anne Rand, Jean Reese, Laura Riding, George Sand, Dorothy L. Sayers, Dorothea von Schlegel, Olive Schreiner, Mary Shelley, Carol Shields, Murasaki Shikibu, Lillian Smith, Muriel Spark, Christina Stead, Gertrude Stein, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Elizabeth Taylor, Frances Trollope, Annette von Drostehulshof, Sophie von La Roche, Bertha von Suttner, Mrs. Humphrey Ward, Sylvia Townsend Warner, Eudora Welty, Rebecca West, Edith Wharton, Antonia White, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Betsy Wolf, and Virginia Wolf. That's it for now. Tell me who all I've missed. Talk to you in three weeks. Thanks. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. Hello, we have this superb podcast called We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by Billy Joel. It is the most original, fascinating, and random way to learn the story of the 20th century. Oh, pretty darned random. And we are joined by some pretty incredible guests. I only wrote stuff that I wanted to hear. If it turned out to be a hit, it was pure dumb luck. With me, Katie Puckrick. And me, Tom Fordyce. This is We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by me, Billy Joel.